This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits, and we're joined on the podcast today by public advocate Letitia James. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much. And you are coming from a press conference at City Hall. Why don't you tell us what that was about? So I was joining with um, some employees who were forced to sign uh, mandatory arbitration um, uh, agreements. Oftentimes they're hidden in their employment contract. It's a condition of their employment. And it basically uh, says the following, that any dispute that you have, wage dispute, sexual harassment dispute, discrimination dispute, they all have to be resolved through arbitration. Um, and if you if you look at, if you compare uh, the um, the, the, the number of employee victories versus uh, uh, the number of employer victories. Um, employees, unfortunately, um, are on the uh, short end, um, and they're more successful in court. Uh, but these forced arbitration clauses, these mandatory arbitration clauses, prohibit them from going into court. And so um, their civil and human rights are trumped as a result of this. And um, when you lose an arbitration um, case, oftentimes you're stuck with, um, you know, expenses you have to pay for the cost of going to arbitration, and in some cases even legal fees. And it's just unfair. And so employees should not be forced to sign arbitration clauses. They serve a purpose, uh, but individuals uh, should not be mandated. And so we made some recommendations. One. We should be a little bit more transparent in the city of New York and the state of New York with regards to those companies um, that, um, as a condition of employment, um, uh, require employees to, to sign um, arbitration clauses. Two, um, New York City should not be doing business um, with uh, companies um, uh, that have uh, forced arbitration clauses in their, as part of their employment contracts. Um, three, there are some bills in the state of New York that basically do the same thing, and those bills should be passed. Um, and today, as you know, um, there are three consolidated cases being heard by the United States Supreme Court in regards to this matter. We don't know where the Supreme Court um, will ultimately, we don't know how they will ultimately decide, but at the end of the day, New York obviously should be in a position of protecting um, the rights of workers as, as, as we have done, um, um, as we have done repeatedly. And the most um, immediate case is where we will raise wages for employees. And, and so this is a state law that you're looking to So there's a state see? law, there's this legislation which is currently pan, pan, uh, pending, um, but we, I believe, um, have the ability uh, to pass similar legislation in the city of New York. Oh, okay. So you're interested in the city doing, taking up action. Correct. And is this, are you putting forward legislation or not yet? We are drafting legislation okay. as we speak. So that, you know, in looking at the announcement you were making this morning and thinking about it a little bit, sort of leads into one of the broader questions I have for you anyway, which yeah. is how do you, you know, public advocate, I want to hear, you know, we want to hear how you sort of define the job, but even a little less vague than that, how do you decide what issues to take up? You know, it, you, you do have a lot of flexibility. Yeah. So something like this, um, I mean, we could name half a dozen and you will, I'm sure, you know, of the things that you've done over the last four years. How do you decide what issues you're going to really dig in on and champion? It's so interesting. So when my vision for the office, when I was d debating um, privately whether or not I should run for the office of public advocate, um, when I did research on the office of public advocate, it, um, there wasn't, um, it was, it was ill-defined. And so there was a lot of room to do, to engage in, um, in um, a, a lot of 
uh, engage on a lot of efforts um, on a wide range of issues that um, obviously I care about. But it all boils down to one issue, and that is social justice. It's part of who I am. It's um, part of my DNA. It's my raison d'etre. It's the reason why I wake up each and every day um, saying to myself, how can I improve the life of someone else? And oftentimes I sympathize, obviously, with the little guy. Um, um, as someone who grew up uh, in Brooklyn, one of um, eight, um, and someone um, who understands um, and who has tasted the sting of, of discrimination um, and who um, was always counted out, um, uh, I sort of can um, associate and sympathize with um, the little guy. But I also can, um, um, you know, sympathize with middle-class families, you know. Um, I remember, you know, um, talking to my mom about just the ability to, you know, her difficult time having to pay electric bills and utility bills and, you know, property taxes and all of those issues and just holding on to her, her home and just making sure that her kids go to college. How do you pay for college? So all of these issues and more obviously just are part of my, my core, part of my being. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, this, the, the mission of the office was one, to use my legal skills, and two, um, continue to um, in, engage in investigation and, um, and uh, in, in engage in investigations on issues that impact um, low, and moderate, and middle-income families in the city of New York and New Yorkers as a whole. And, uh, and last but not least, making sure that we continue to maintain a relationship um, with the city council, all 51 members of the city council, that we be on the ground, that we not be in um, uh, this white ivory tower uh, known as One Center Street, that we be in every corner of the city of New York and in those neighborhoods that didn't support me. I want to go there and introduce myself to them and let them know that I'm here to serve them as well. One of the ways that the office is somehow sometimes described as being a, an ombudsperson um, and also a check on the power of the mayor and the strong mayor system we yeah. have. Um, and obviously some public advocates in the past have done that more than others and more aggressively. Yeah. Um, have you been uh, a, a check on Mayor de Blasio? How would you describe the interplay between, between your two offices? So we, when, the, when I've agreed with the mayor on issues, I've stood by his side. When I disagreed with the mayor, um, we've criticized the mayor. Um, we've criti we criticized the mayor on um, the fact that he did not support initially um, um, support for the Office for Veterans. Um, and now we now have an independent a mayoral agency for veterans in the city of New York. We criticized the mayor with regards to the Administration for Children's Services. In fact, we initiated litigation um, against the Administration for Children's Services, suing not only the mayor but also the governor. With there is reforms um, now, um, we are beginning to see reforms in the, uh, in the Administration for Children's Services. We sued the mayor in the city of New York um, when he um, did when he changed uh, uh, the scree system. And when seniors, uh, some seniors, unfortunately, were not put on notice and lost their scree benefits, um, we immediately contacted the administration. We threatened litigation. And as a result of that, um, those scree benefits were restored. Uh, we, um, the Post, in fact, um, I believe it was in December, indicated that, in fact, um, um, I was, they applauded me for criticizing the mayor on using the phrase agents of government, I think was the term. Agents of the city. Yeah. Agents of the city. Agents of the government, agents <laughs> of the city, difference without much, I mean, uh, yeah, difference without much, well, anyway. Um, uh, 
um, when I criticized the mayor for using um, uh, that uh, um, uh, that that um, description of individuals who I just thought were writing policy in the city of New York and should not have been around the table. Um, we've criticized the mayor on the issue that we're currently in court on and hopefully we'll win this case. Uh, we won it on the lower level and, and the mayor appealed and that is um, disabled children on hot buses. Um, and so on a wide range of issues uh, we've sued the mayor um, and we've criticized the mayor and on some issues we stood uh, by his side. We most recently when the mayor um, expressed some concerns with regards to universal free lunch um, for I believe two years we were criticizing the mayor and then ultimately he came around and now we have universal school lunch in our, in our, in our public school system. So when he's right, I'm with him. When he's wrong, uh, I will stand against him. Um, and so it is, um, so it depends upon the issue. Um, and, uh, and that's the role I believe the Office of Public Advocate uh, should uh, be engaged in. And that's the office, and that's the position that we've taken. On the issue or the mechanism of transparency, which yeah. is something the public advocates have long been sort of watchdogs yeah. over, um, overall, you mentioned the agents of the city mm -hmm. issue, but overall, how do you assess Mayor de Blasio and his administration's approach to transparency? He's very proud of his record. Others have said they're not quite that proud of it. How, where do you come down? So on freedom of information request, um, I know that New York One took him to court and other news outlets basically challenged him on his transparency. I think um, the... Um, uh, the mayor of the city of New York, uh, at the the first few years, um, there was some um, reluctance um, to be more transparent. And as a result of the litigation, as a result of the criticism, I think the mayor now is uh, coming into that role and realizing uh, that one of the responsibilities of serving as mayor of the city of New York is to be more transparent, particularly to uh, the media, which has a responsibility to hold him in check as well. Just sticking with <coughs> with that theme for a minute, um, I mean, you, you've clearly chosen from the beginning to focus on litigation, yeah. to focus on legislation, and definitely want to hear more uh, about sort of what you're most proud of in those respects uh, in a minute. But you decided early on that you weren't going to go out there and hold a bunch of press conferences at City Hall, for example, railing against the mayor about um, the campaign for war in New York or the agents of the city, you made that decision that some other public advocates might have made and you focused more on, I think, what you've described in the past, you know, as litigation, legislation, more substantive and mm -hmm. not just like throwing throwing those criticisms. So I explain a little bit how you sort of so I think, you know, decided that. Obviously, I have a relationship with the mayor of the city of New York and a relationship with the city council and the speaker. Um, and I thought that um, as a public advocate of the city of New York, um, and, and and having a relationship with the mayor where we're somewhat like-minded philosophically and politically, that I can get more done by having a conversation with him one-on-one -on -one with regards to our differences and coming to some agreement. For instance, on the issue of affordable housing, which is the most pressing issue in the city of New York, and homelessness, and how we treat individuals who are suffering from mental illness. In regards to affordable housing, I have consistently criticized a previous administration and this administration with regards to the lottery system and how individuals are only um, determined their eligibility based on their credit score. We worked with the administration and we've refined how they use credit scores and now individuals are not solely judged on their credit score in determining eligibility for the lottery system. 
Um, two, we work with the administration with their lottery system in giving preferences to certain categories of individuals, including but not limited to those who are homeless. On the issue of homelessness, we've criticized the mayor on his use of hotels. We've criticized, we did an op-ed recently with regards to the conversion of uh, market rate housing um, into shelters and the possibility of individuals losing rent control and rent stabilized protections in the city of New York. And we are working with the administration and HPD um, to come to some sort of resolution in regards to that. So because we have a relationship and because we have a I have a relationship with a significant number of commissioners and we are we are all focused on one objective and that is uh, um, uh, a, uh, a more progressive approach to legislation and a more progressive approach to dealing with these problems which appear to be intractable. Um, we've achieved uh, quite a bit in the Office of Public Advocate and I would and I would argue without any fear of contradiction that we have done more in the last four years than any previous public advocate or all public advocates combined. I wonder. I wonder how the mayor how the mayor would react to that. He might give that one to you. Well, he can give it to me, but I would give it back to him. <laughs> so one duty that is in the charter for public advocate that you've not had to fulfill, obviously, yeah. is stepping into the mayoralty. You're the number two official. That is well. Um, and there's still, no, there's I mean, still time. It's 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 obviously it is an unlikely occurrence, but yeah, it's it in the charter. It's it is there. unlikely. It is unlikely. Um, has the mayor taken any, has anybody taken any steps to like brief you, repair you, is that, given the unlikelihood, I understand it not being a daily topic of conversation, but well, it's, it was it's a, there. It was, there, there was a discussion about it, remember when the mayor went out of town for yeah. 10 days like or, right up to right, the right minimum, up, up, yeah, right well, up to the actually, maximum or whatever. Actually, no, he, he was preparing to go out, he was preparing to take a vacation or go visit the Italy trip, I think. Italy trip yeah, for yeah. 12 days or 11 days, and then we reminded him that the statue or the charter, um, basically subscribe that if you're out of the city from longer than, or out of the country for longer than 10 days, I believe, automatically the power reverts to the office of public advocate. Obviously, he changed his schedule and decided to only stay eight days or nine days or something like that. So have he, has he briefed me? Um, or no, have you prepared for that no. possibility? Am, am I prepared? I am prepared, but he has not um, advised me on where the code is, if you will, <laughs> right. or, or, the, or the keys right, to the yeah. bathroom are. No, he's not. No, he's not. And um, I suspect that the mayor will fulfill his this term and the next term, and I wish him much, much success and, and good health. Talk a little bit about some of the other things that you're most proud of in these four years. Um, I know um, you briefly mentioned uh, the school lunch push, yeah. but, but that's obviously been a big cause of yours. Um, are, there, are there things when you're now saying, I mean, we're in, we're in the re-election year, that's part of the reason we're talking to lots of candidates for office, uh, <laughs> including yourself, um, but you are an incumbent, so you have your record to run on. Um, what it, If you're sending out mail or you're talking to someone at the supermarket or in Grand Army <laughs> Plaza or wherever, what are the two or three or my four elevator things? Speech? Yeah. So oh, my what, elevator speech? What are you most proud of? Yeah. So my elevator speech is obviously school lunch. Um, uh, school lunch obviously is a m uh, major victory for the Office of Public Advocate, um, basically addressing the, the stigma of poverty um, in the city of New York, too. Um, banning salary history for women obviously was a big victory for us. Uh, the litigation that we won on uh, school leadership teams, opening those up um, uh, to the general public. Uh, in the past, they were sub they were not subject to the open open meetings law. Uh, again, an area of disagreement with the administration. They argued um, that it should be it should not be subject to the open meetings law. We argued the opposite. We won in court. I was really happy about that. Um, working 
uh, with some of the attorneys in some major law firms in the city of New York. Oh, when we first were elected to the office of public advocate, uh, a major victory, and that is when we stood up, we stood beside the workers at UPS. And I recall um, working with then controller John Liu with regards to this benefit that we provide to um, to UPS, um, and that is, um, an ex I guess we give them, uh, we dismiss a significant number of their traffic tickets. I was um, going to say parking tickets. Parking right? yeah, tickets, yeah, yeah. right. Um, uh, they get some relief from that. And so during the strike, and it's, it, it, it's, it comes to like millions and millions of dollars, and so uh, when 250 workers basically engaged in a wildcat strike in support of one worker who had been fired um, during the holiday, we stood with them and we threatened to withhold that benefit or, um, um, and uh, they uh, basically relented and those 250 workers were given back their jobs. That was a major, major victory because it was during the holidays and to see the families and the kids um, and these were good middle class jobs. And I hope that we can do the same with Charter Spectrum. It would be remiss if I did not sit here and, and, and not mention that there's workers still out on strike, um, members of Local 3, and we really need to resolve that contract. And I would hope that the mayor and the governor of the state of New York would call Charter Spectrum to the table and resolve it. So you've alluded to your role with the city council and yeah. the legislative role of the office, and I looked it up this morning. You have been a sponsor in some way on 153 pieces of uh, legislation. Only 153? Uh, you've been the prime <laughs> on 43. Seven have been enacted. Only 43? And three of the ones that are in the hopper have like pretty large numbers of, of co-sponsors, 27, 30, 42. The, the one that has the most support is um, intro 692, which is the creation of a retirement Security Review yeah. Board. Can you talk about that proposal and why, given that level of support, it hasn't been moved toward a, a vote yet? Because it's subject to ERISA, a federal law. And when this administration, the Trump administration, came into office, um, they immediately, we were in the midst of getting permission from the Department of Labor to put forward this proposal to create a private retirement system. President Trump was elected to office, and they basically um, rejected it and said you will no longer in New York City, New York State, or any municipal jurisdiction will be allowed to offer these private insurance, uh, private retirement uh, accounts. Is, this, is that dead now? Is that dead? Pretty much because it's subject to federal law. Yeah, that was actually one we were we were following, and I remember there was a early on in the administration there was these photos that sort of got posted on social media where someone had visited Steve Bannon's office and on his sort of the top of his to do list was. Oh, yeah was uh, that retirement, that legislation retirement and moving security. that through. Yeah. yeah. So interesting uh, national politics. Despite the fact there. that more and more individuals are living in poverty and more Americans don't have pensions. And so this was, again, another example of New York City leading the way. And we were trumped by Bannon. Um, a nice turn of phrase. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about a few uh, things that have been sort of top of um, the news of late um, and, uh, and get your stance on these things because they are sort of election year issues. Um, one is congestion pricing. Where, where, where do you stand on that? So as you know, as a, f a former city council member, I came out in support of it, having representing, representing, uh, represented downtown, represented downtown Brooklyn for Green, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, and Crown Heights. As the citywide elected official, we are still examining it, particularly its impact on the outer boroughs. And so we don't have a position at this point in time. Are you eager to see what the governor puts forward in the new year? It seems like he's cooking that up. Or 
are I, you are you more in a wait and see or are you actively taking we're that actively on? actively reviewing proposals we're looking at models all across this nation and we anticipate a proposal from the governor of the state of New York we would also like to see more investment obviously in MTA um, um, and or whether or not the city of New York can have a greater role on the MTA if in fact the city of New York um, is uh, inclined to uh, provide additional resources. Where did you come down on the on the mayor and the half of the rescue plan? I didn't. I didn't. It wasn't. <clears throat> I didn't support one or the other. I supported uh, subway riders and New Yorkers. And my position is the following: um, as I just indicated, is that if in fact um, the mayor ha if the mayor seeks to if the mayor is, is so inclined to contribute more resources to MTA, then we should have a greater role, a greater voice on the MTA board. Um, and we should be, obviously, because uh, we, the city of New York should know um, where uh, our dollars are being spent and how they're being spent, and there needs to be more transparency in their capital budget. As someone who once drafted um, and reviewed the MTA capital budget when I was counsel to the corporations, authorities, and commissions in the state legislature, um, clearly uh, the city had a limited role. It's a state authority, a public authority. It's a you know quasi-independent authority, but uh, it is a state um, authority. There's no mistake about it. It was created in state law, and the state has more appointees on the board than any other um, entity. And so, if in fact the city were to put forth money, they, we should our role should be increased on um, the MTA board. And I am more than willing to serve. <laughs> You've talked a little bit about the um, discussion that began to brew this summer across the country and here as well about statues, memorials to historical figures and what should be done about them. Talk about your position on that and how you feel not just the Columbus statue, which seems to get the most attention, yeah. but the, the broader mm. issue of how the city should handle that. You know what? I think um, this is really a distraction from the major issues that we really should be focusing on, including but not limited to NYCHA, New York City Housing Authority, and the issues affecting residents of public housing. Um, who total more than 600,000 New Yorkers. I'd rather be focusing on um, how can we address um, homelessness in the city of New York. 60,000 New Yorkers are uh, sleeping in our shelters, a third of them are children. I'd rather be talking on how, uh, what services can we offer for those who are living, those who are suffering from mental illness, what we can do in collaboration with the state of New York. I'd rather be talking about criminal justice reform, including but not limited to grand jury reform. As you know, we lost the case on, the, on trying to get the grand jury minutes for Eric Garner, um, and, but uh, because it's an anachronistic um, mechanism and there is no transparency and the grand jury should be subject to the the review of the grand jury should be subject to the prying eyes of the public and it is not um, so all of these issues and more I'd rather be talking about as opposed to um, what monuments should be preserved this conversation started out uh, with the con some Confederate monuments um, you know Confederate soldiers um, who were rebels um, how it morphed into a discussion about Christopher Columbus, I don't know. Um, Christopher Columbus, the monument, um, should remain. There should be a teaching opportunity where we can talk about um, the good, the bad, and the ugly um, of Christopher Columbus um, and, uh, and, whether, and, and how he exploited um, uh, indigenous populations. Um, but I'd rather be having a more substantive conversation on what we can do to improve the lives of residents of public housing, what we can do to transform the third 
right, rail of politics, and that is the property tax, which is squeezing the middle class um, and resulting in so many senior citizens um, who are losing their property or um, liens being placed on their properties, which is why I was so glad, again, we worked with the administration and we were able to remove one and two family homes from the lien sale. Um, that was another accomplishment of our office, again, working with the administration. Uh, but property taxes represents the third rail of politics, and unfortunately, no one is approaching it so or you, touching it. You brought up NYCHA. NYCHA, NYCHA. announced this morning another next-gen site. What do you think of that approach, uh, building mixed-income housing on NYCHA to generate money to pay for some of these long-overdue repairs? Well, let me announce that on October 8th, I believe the date is, at 12 o'clock, the 9th, it's, it's night. Monday, right. There's going to be hundreds of churches um, at a major rally in Central um, in City Hall Park. Most of these churches are black churches. There's a proposal being put forth in someone who you should interview. His name is Reverend Brawley, David Brawley of St. Paul, where he is proposing an infill which came from the community, ground up, um, and he has been successful in building affordable housing in East New York and transforming that part of the city of New York, again, with the help of um, uh, Reverend Johnny Ray Youngblood. Um, hundreds of churches are going to descend on City Hall, um, basically um, uh, proposing efforts to uh, deal with the, the crisis in affordable housing in the city of New York. Interesting. Um, yeah. No, I was actually about to ask about NYCHA as well. I was glad you mentioned it. it was uh, it was so, my next. So, so you you feel like so more broadly, you feel like uh, has the path that the mayor and the NYCHA chair. Um, do you feel like the path they have NYCHA on is bearing fruit? Do you like what you see there in terms of progress? What do you hear from NYCHA so residents? Let me, so I was a proponent of one of the first infill projects and that is on Ingersoll Public Housing and we are going forward on it. And we are. Um, it was a site um, that the public identified when I was a city council member. It will be 100% affordable um, for seniors. Um, there is some controversy because some uh, a, a local co-op across the street where some residents just discovered it was going forward are objecting. But nonetheless, it was a process um, uh, that occurred over, um, I think, a two or three year discussion with residents of Ingersoll. If we could do more of that um, with residents and with local not-for-profits um, as opposed to um, uh, uh, as opposed to for-profit corporations um, hiring local residents um, uh, and setting aside apartments for local residents, particularly seniors who are living in oversized apartments, senior citizens who are living in two and three, four bedroom apartments and they're all by themselves. Their um, family members have moved on um, and would, would be more than willing, as my former constituents have indicated, they'd be more than willing to move into a new apartment. Um, then we should move forward with it. But it has to be with an authentic voice and someone who they trust, which is why Reverend Brawley and the members of, and all of these other churches that will descend upon City Hall on October 9th are in a position to do just that, and they should lead the way in the city of New York. And we should work with them because a significant number of houses of faith all throughout the city of New York have underutilized land and we should work with them. That is one way to address the crisis in affordable housing um, and make sure that it, the AMI, again, reflects the neighborhood and it's done with an institution 
who residents respect and who they, whom they have a relationship with. So we're in our last few minutes here with public Aww, advocate Letitia James, <laughs> a Democrat seeking re-election this fall. Democrat slash working families. Slash working families. <laughs> uh, there's there's many things to, to discuss uh, potentially, but um, so I just I wanted to ask you uh, before Jared jumps back in. Just are there things that I mean you mentioned property tax reform, which is something that yes has been continued to be kicked down down the road, um, and the mayor has promised to take on in his second term if he's reelected. Do you have other priorities for a second term that you're sure. promising to take on? So one of the issues that going forward in the new term, if the again, if the voters would so choose to reelect me as public advocate of the city of New York, and I would be humbled by that, um, I again uh, affordable housing, affordable housing, and affordable housing, uh, crisis crisis and homelessness. Um, I want to. Uh, um, draw on the success of, uh, of the, the mayor's pre-K and I want to work with the administration again with providing resources for um, infants and newborns um, because I, all the studies that I've been reading with regards to um, the brain development um, really starts when, when children are at the infancy stage and as I look all throughout the city of New York for infant care, there's a complete absence of infant care, quality infant care. And that's something that the administration, working with the administration, hopefully we can be successful. I also want to look at, um, um, in my, in, when I was a city council member, you can probably recall, I battled with Mayor Bloomberg with regards to um, his removing dental clinics from public schools any closed dental and health clinics in public schools, I would like to reopen those dental and, 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 and health clinics in public schools. <clears throat> I imagine some of those are uh, in the community schools that have opened up, but I know it's not uh, necessarily that widespread. It Correct. depends on what those community schools choose to bring in, right? They, they, they partner with different organizations and such. You mentioned homelessness. Um, and, I mean, oh. and property taxes, obviously, mm -hmm. is a major, major issue that we really want to uh, focus on in the in the city of New York. Sorry, you mentioned homelessness, and it, yeah. it, you know that's obviously going to be an issue for the next four years. But yeah. Probably more than that. One of the ways it will be an issue is if the mayor goes ahead with a plan to build a lot of new shelters. Mm -hmm. Discussions with communities, some of whom, many of whom, will not want those. Um, as a citywide official who was prior to that a city council person, mm -hmm. we're dealing with you know local issues, Atlantic Yards, and the question of what rights does a community have to say no to something that the city says, look, we need it, it's got to go somewhere. As a public official who kind of stands between communities as an ombudsman, as a, you know, a ombudsperson rather, mm -hmm. responsive to that, but also aware of the citywide picture, how do you think it is appropriate for the city to kind of mitigate that and balance that? Communities say, we don't want homeless shelters. The city says, these people need a place to stay. How do you balance that? So let me just say, let me say, say this. One, I... Um, the vast majority of individuals who are homeless are women with children. Two, um, I don't believe that we should be renting out um, hotels and, and building more shelters in the city of New York. I think we need, we need a better relationship with the governor of the state of New York. And if in fact there were um, improved relationships with the state of New York, which holds the lion's share of, of housing subsidy, um, uh, we could go a long way in addressing the crisis in affordable housing and the homelessness situation. Well, and I guess you asked the question, well, what do you mean by that, Tisha? Let's tease that out a little bit more. We need a bond act in the state of New York, a housing bond act. 
We need to build over rail yards. We have rail yards just about in every borough. We need more integrated housing. What do I mean by integrated? Not integrated by race. I mean, of course, integrated by race, but integrated by income. Um, more uh, housing set aside for homeless, um, moderate, middle, and, um, and income housing. We need more um, work um, live space in the city of New York. Um, and we really need to examine these rezonings. Um, uh, and we also need to take a hard and fast look at um, 421A. Uh, uh, it's just astonishing to me that um, um, we are building more luxury housing and more and more developers are benefiting from uh, um, property tax exemptions um, when uh, those resources, I think, should be spent on building more middle-income housing. We need another sterite city, another co-op city. Um, That's a big project. Those are big projects. Yeah. Well, we need to think big mm -hmm. and as opposed to incrementally. We need to think big. Um, when you say look at the rezonings, what do you mean? Do you mean slow those down and reevaluate? Do you mean push forward? I'm a little. I just I'm, I would like to reevaluate them to see whether or not they're meeting the needs of of, of uh, New Yorkers. I mean, there's a lot of pushback. I understand. I was not there, but I understand at the town hall meeting on in East Harlem, um, it was pretty contentious. I suspect. I think tonight is in East New York. Mm -hmm. I suspect that will be contentious. Um, um, and there have been other areas where individuals have who have said, you know, I hope, you know, he's not proposing a rezoning in our neighborhood because we would oppose it, uh, because it, it will, it does nothing uh, but um, uh, jumpstart gentrification. Um, and, you know... Um, Do you think that's true? Um, so, as someone who was, who did one of the first rezonings, downtown Brooklyn, mm -hmm. um, I was promised a lot. The neighborhood was promised a lot. It was never realized. And we were promised a significant amount of affordable housing, and the affordable housing is not affordable to the residents who live there. And as a result, it has dramatically changed downtown Brooklyn. Um, yeah. And so um, does it jumpstart gentrification? Is it, as Some people have argued that uh, downtown Brooklyn planning zone was gentrification on steroids. Um, but a Bloomberg rezoning is not a de Blasio A Bloomberg rezoning, rezoning is not a de Blasio. Maybe. Uh, I mean, some say they're not that far apart. I don't know. I, that's why <laughs> I think we need to we need to look at them side by side mm -hmm. and, and look at the data, the metrics, and do some analytics. Um, so saying all of that, um, I just want to think bigger and wider and larger in scope. And I think now it's time to build middle-class projects, moderate income projects in the city of New York. Um, and take Robert Moses, but just instead of using um, eminent domain or um, urban renewal, um, let's build on available and underutilized public space. Let's utilize community-based organization, uh, organizations and institutions that reflect the community um, that, and have a sense of... Uh, the needs of the community, the felt needs of the community, and I just think there's this, there's this still this disconnect that I'm still seeing. There's a big idea. I think I, I think in this election season, a lot of people have been looking for big ideas. There's a, there's one: build a whole new big, middle moderate income housing project. Michelama, two. I'm looking, and there and people say, oh, Tish, we have to build vertical because there's no more public land. I don't know if that's the case as I travel all throughout the city of New York and I say, look at those rail yards. There's nothing there. Why can't we deck it over and build up? What about out in East New York? Why can't we build something? There's Bronx yards. Atlantic Yards is still 
to a large extent, underutilized. The yards haven't been decked over. What's, what's up? What is the status of that project? Why is that still fallow? I think we'll leave it there. Good questions. <laughs> yeah, uh, with a few weeks left on the campaign trail, we'll be yeah. catching up with you more uh, before Election Day. I'll see you at the debate. Thanks. Oh, yes, yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you so much.